0: Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, episode 110, telling stories from the LAFC community, match by match, DJ by DJ, story by story. Folks, this week we have an illustrious guest joining us is going to be Chris Apati, also known as DJ Flicked. You can follow him at DJ Flick on Instagram. He is a Grammy-nominated producer, songwriter, and more importantly, an LAFC fan. Joining us is our important correspondent this week to prepare us for our match versus Inter-Miami. Joining us is Franco Paniso. At Franco Panizo, he comes from Miami's Total Football Radio. You can follow them at M-I-A Total Football.
1: Actually, he likes to call it Miami Total Football Radio. Football guys,
0: radio. Sorry, excuse me. I did not get a little bit of a, I like a, a, a flare on but,
1: uh, it. But we'll, we we'll, you guys will hear that all that story as we get into the interview later in the episode. But yeah, it's a football radio.
0: Football radio. Well, you've already heard their lovely voices. I'll go ahead and introduce my co-hosts joining me as always, Christopher Signs and Christian Aparicio, gentlemen. Good evening and welcome.
1: What's going down? What's going down? LFC community. Excited for another week in the season. Match day three is going to be a big one. First time playing in Miami. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an opportunity for us to continue to build on this new LAFC 2.0. And I can't wait to see how we turn out in form.
2: Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Jonathan and Chris. Happy to, to be able to talk to an awesome DJ. New Anthem. Also, looking forward to the trend of the beginning of the season. LAFC is trending in the right direction. So, wishing well travel to the LAFC contingent going to beautiful Miami. Safe travels to them. And looking forward to talking about what's upcoming.
0: Before we get into the recap of our match versus Portland, we have one of the most horrific and unfortunate incidents in my football memory that we would like to discuss first, but we can't get into a conversation about what happened in Mexico, without first observing a moment of silence for those who are no longer with us, simply because they went to a football game to enjoy watching their team. And with that, we are going to observe a brief moment of silence before we get into the rest of our podcast. Thank you. Folks, for those of you who are unaware, and have not been paying attention to the world of football, there was some absolutely horrific stuff that took place last Saturday in the 62nd minute of the match where Atlas was visiting Cuartero. And unfortunately, some crazy Barabravas fans invaded the pitch, and the violence that ensued was absolutely horrific. Dozens were hospitalized, official numbers still not available, and the official accounts vary wildly. From the first-hand information and accounts that are coming out at this point it seems fairly obvious that there is a cover-up taking place in coordination of liga mx officials the federal and local government and all the people involved who have played down what has happened here the governor of cartero Mauricio Curi, stated that 24 people were hospitalized 19 of which have been released only one of those people in critical condition however having a friend who was at the match, who described it to me, and seeing the video and photo footage that has come out of the match, it is hard-pressed to think that no one died in this match. There are numerous, numerous videos and photos out there that clearly show dead bodies in the stands, something that is absolutely graphic and horrifying to see at a football match. However, when asked about this, the governor stated that When they say we're not telling the truth, that we're hiding the dead, well, how can we do that? And what would I gain? On the contrary, it fills me with a lot of indignation and a lot of anger. And what I said is serious and we are going after these criminals. That being said, state authorities in North Central Mexico have suspended five officials, including police and civil defense employees, and three people involved in planning and preparation for the match. There have been a number of sanctions that have been passed down by the president of Mexico's Liga MX, Miguel Ariola. So, Cuaratero, they have had their ownership forced to sell the club within the next calendar year. They are not allowed to participate in the ownership of any football in Mexico for the next 5 years. Their supporters will be banned for 3 seasons. All of the club's official teams, including their women's team and their lower division teams, will play without fans for the rest of the season. The Mexican Football Federation's disciplinary committee handed a one-year stadium ban, meaning that the team will play in an empty arena until March of 2023. They were forced to forfeit the match 3-0. They were fined $70,000. In addition to that, Atlas FC's supporters have been banned from attending matches for six months. The State Department came out and said that 14 arrests have been made. They reiterated a claim of a slightly different number saying 26 people were injured, 24 male and two female were hospitalized after the match. There have been statements made by FIFA, CONCACAF, and MLS Commissioner Don Garber condemning the assaults, but so far, none of those entities have taken action. So it's horrific. It's unfortunate to see the official information coming out about it, varying so much from the firsthand accounts, uh, some of which we have heard personally, some of which we have seen via social media. Obviously, the LAFC community, and moreover, this podcast does not condone violence of any support, any kind within the stands. It, It is absolutely a black eye on this entire sport across North America, and it is A completely horrific, horrific situation that has been compounded by what, in my opinion, are some fairly lackluster sanctions that have been issued against this team and a real disappointment in what is clearly and obviously a cover up going on to hide the facts about what's happened here. So as I calm myself down from my frustration and anger here, I'm going to kick it around the room for your initial thoughts and response to the horrific scenes we've seen coming out of Mexico.
2: It's unfortunate, some of the images. I do hope that some of the reports are true in terms of no deaths, but I agree with you the, some of those images. And if there's people that are there that are telling you differently, then it's hard to go against what they're saying. I mean, this is the dark side of some of the support or passion. Really, I don't even like to use those words in association with the heights of some of the ultras take these matters. You know, football is supposed to be a distraction, a sense of community, something that allows you to blow off steam and some people take this way too personally and it becomes tribal and it becomes no longer a proxy of pride for your city, but then it becomes a real engagement of violence and trying to impose your will physically instead of uh, seeing who can really be the loudest or support the hardest. Unfortunately, I know that in Latin America, Mexico, some parts of Europe, we've seen some of this and it hasn't happened a lot in this manner recently so it's unfortunate like I said that Mexico I do agree that the sanctions and the self-admission and all these things are too light but I think because the World Cup is coming soon they're trying to act like they're doing things proactively but I don't think the full investigation has shaken out in terms of whether or not what they're doing internally what Liga Max is doing what CONCACAF is doing is enough to warrant what has happened more to come on this I, I think we need to keep the attention on it because I know that Mexico is going to try their best to steer away from this and distract with other things. But it also, last thing I'll say on this is like Atlas, they just you know had a momentous year last year where they had their first championship in a long time. And the supporters you would think would be very appreciative and show that they're supporting the team no matter what, but not try to do some of the things that they did in this weekend. To, against get it all. And um, that's the last thing I'll say. To echo
1: your guys' sentiment, of course, this is a horrible, horrible thing to have happen. I know that within the 3252 community and LAFC, recently over the last few days, there have been Twitter spaces and conversations about the violence that can happen in football matches and how to be better than that and how to hold ourselves to a higher standard and, and make sure that things like that don't happen at the last derby that was at Dignity Health Sports Park, there was a fight that broke out at the end of the match. So while the amount of injuries and violence may not have been as much as this match this past weekend in Liga MX, we're not removed from it. It's still here in Los Angeles. It's still something that you're going to experience, unfortunately. And there needs to be a way for us to find resolution without conflict. It's also kind of hard too, because I feel like that Parabravas, the inchas, the hooligans, those are, I mean, they're written about in books and the, the lifestyle that you see in South America and in Europe, it is almost revered, I feel. And I think think that there is still a group of people that look up to it and they want to be like that and they want to bring football back to what it was in its heyday and you know it's it's just this is going to be something that's going to take a lot of effort a united front to get rid of and it's just sad to think that there is any kind of situation where a person goes to a, a professional sporting event and you have to worry about your safety.
0: In full transparency, I did invite my friend who is at the match to come on the show and speak about what they experienced. They declined out of fear of their own safety. The people who left the hospital are being escorted across state lines by police members because they fear for their life even after they leave the hospital. These are some horrific, horrific things. And Chris, you touched on it. And I'd like to transition the conversation to how this affects us here in the MLS. Obviously, what happened in Mexico was horrific. But you mentioned it and, and you took the words right out of my mouth. We have already seen shades of violence escalating from a styrofoam cooler to people being attacked in restrooms to Gangs openly attacking people in the stadium and in the parking lot, just in LAFC, LA Galaxy Derbies. And as much as we embrace football culture, soccer culture here in the United States, there are parts that I want to leave behind. And this is definitely one of them. And I think we need to not only take this moment as Christian said and keep discussing it because it does not deserve to go away. It is a conversation that deserves to keep happening, not only in Mexico, but across the world of football, and certainly here in the Southland, because things escalate. We've already seen that over the course of five seasons in our derbies. We saw violence in San Jose last year where someone lost their life after a match. And we've seen an escalation of violence happening here in Los Angeles in our own derby that has to stop. It has to stop. This is not what the MLS culture, the LAFC culture, the 3252 culture wants to be about. And it starts with conversations that need to happen between front offices, between security forces, maybe even between fan groups. It also needs to start with the leaders within the 3252 and other clubs as well, too, holding their members accountable to a set of code of conduct and standards where we cannot simply let these things continue to escalate and get out of hand. And hopefully in wake of something so tragic and horrible that we can see some progress and see some actual things happening. And it's sad that so many times in our lives, something horrible has to happen before some change happens, but that's my fervent desire coming out of this. You
1: know, unfortunately, I think that When you look at football on a global level, you know, the changes can be implemented here in the MLS. And domestic fans will will have to hold themselves accountable and hold themselves to a higher standard. However, it would be foolish to think that these changes that are implemented here in the MLS are going to get carried over and copied in other leagues. I mean, look at how hard it's been for us to try and dissuade mexican and south american fans from using the p chant i mean it may you you see an effort here in america for that to stop but that doesn't mean that anyone else is going to stop so while we may be able to put a strangle on it here in the mls that doesn't mean that when our players are playing in Concacaf matches and we're playing in the conca champions league or any of these recently announced international tournaments that's still not going to be something that is potentially going to happen in these foreign arenas there has to be something else that comes that is the uh lightning rod that makes the change because I, i don't feel like this is something new that these other leagues have experienced and if they haven't changed from previous issues why would they change now
2: there's a flip side to this though I think now there is an incentive that for them for a new revenue stream, sometimes money talks, right? So if the MLS or players that play in the MLS are now afraid to go down there and they don't make changes or show in a year or two that they can make these changes, there's a lot of money lost for League MX teams. And I think sometimes that's what it takes for these motivations. So I think this is going to be on the front burner for them moving forward to address it. Obviously, they're they're probably not being forthcoming with the data information from that day. But I think protocols are going to have to change. Why? Because this region's in a microscope now, especially with the World Cup coming. And some of those cities in Mexico want World Cup games. And if they don't have a track record over the next few years to be able to squash this or improve stadium, stadium, protocol, stadium, safety then I think it's going to be a Black eye in Mexico and it's going to be a way for the U.S. and Canada to get more cities to, to play. And I think a spotlight on the thing, it's in the infrastructure and the payments on time and the safety, and all these things that this country does well. So I think it's important for Mexico to, I'm sure that they're thinking about all these things, but they have to really hit it out of the ballpark if they want to be able to participate in the way that they want to be seen in these upcoming few years.
0: Be the change you want to see in the world. Lead by example. That's something that America often claims to do, but occasionally does not deliver on. And that's something that I would like to see us do as a United States, Canada, MLS, is to start setting a standard, whether the rest of the world pays heed and follows suit or not. I still think we need to set the example for our children, for the next generation, so that they don't have to take their kid off so that they can flee a stadium safely. You know, that kind of stuff is beyond reproach. But I think we've set our piece on that. Let's go ahead and transition back to the world of black and gold. LAFC had their second match of the season versus the Portland Timbers. It was a fun night back at the bank. We saw COVID restrictions repealed to the point where identification and vaccination did not need to be shown to get back into the bank. And I felt like we had a lively, raucous atmosphere. The 3252 was packed and bumping the whole game. The rest of the stadium was engaged. It was a fun night. There was a ton of people there. One could clearly see that the stadium was full even before kickoff. We had the likes of Weston McKinney in the stands uh, to come out and greet everyone. Former guest of the show, Kevin Frazier, letting Ollie loose there uh, for our pregame festivities. And we get into our starting 11, and I don't know if you guys caught this, but on the Jumbotron presentation of the starting 11, Chicho Arango was listed as a midfielder, which I don't know if that was alluding to a 4-4-2 tactic by Dolo or whether that was simply a misspeaking on the monitor, but I felt that was pretty funny. Did you guys have any thoughts on the pregame or the festivities before we dive into the match?
1: It was nice seeing everybody out of Christmas tree lane having a Sunday night game, especially with the Fan Fest. It was just it's just great to see things starting to come back to a a touch of normal. Seeing Weston McKinney was obviously great. I I think it was a great match for him to come to. And I, Weston I'm, McKinney
0: in a barra 76 scarf. You
1: <laughs> absolutely right. I saw that too. I'm curious, you know, if it was one of those things that Kellen Acosta sent out the invitation and said, hey, I know you're going to be rehabbing. Why don't you come out to the match or what have you? But I hope that it made an impact on him. And that is something I always look forward to is when international players, whether they are United States players or uh, other other Europeans or South Americans, that when they come and see the bank and then they can go back home to whatever club it is that they're playing for and they can talk about the experiences, that is just another way in helping us become a global brand. And I get excited when I see international players coming and, and seeing what the bank has to offer.
2: I wasn't able to to make to the match. Uh, my son was already feeling a little bit under the weather. It's been a rough week, but on TV, it looked great. Um, it looked full, definitely. Jonathan, I, I like that comment. And I was really happy for Kevin Frazier. He's an awesome guy, him getting recognized and having the opportunity to be a Falconer. It looked like Ollie took off a little bit before his mark, but still was able to fly and soar and do uh, what he does best. And in terms of, I think the what you mentioned about Chicho being a midfielder on the Jumbo chart, we, we didn't get to see those those details on, on TV because they got that right in terms of a 4-3-3. But that, I think that's curious. I feel like it probably was a mistake but i mean i guess what i would ask you is was it shown as a diamond was it a flat four because he did kind of play a little bit of a false line at times or a reference point so just wondering what steve chirundolo doing or if he was putting that in the in the lineup cards to kind of confuse Savarese. who knows what kind of mind games at the stadium were being played, but obviously that wasn't the case when the match actually started.
0: Yeah, look, my tactical observations of games from the second row of the 3252 with a capo stand and a goal immediately to my right and flags and scarves and hands and chanting and smoke and all that is is probably not the best analysis, which is why we have you two lovely gentlemen on this pod to help me out for the things that I really cannot see from my vantage point. And frankly, my job for 90 minutes is not to watch the game my job is to help create atmosphere. And, and that's the first priority and paying what attention I can to the game is, is really a second priority. And it's very hard from, you know, second row in the thirty you're basically flat on the pitch there. You can't really see formation all that well from that vantage point. So look, they were all running around. That's as much as I can tell about formations. You know, you can tell there's four at the back. You can see things like, You know, obviously Portland being very compact, keeping that low block, stuffing men behind the ball. You can see some of the passing lanes and, you know, the fact that LAFC spent basically the entire second half going down the left side. There are things you can certainly observe, but, you know, spacing of midfield and, you know, how compact the strikers are to the midfield. And some of that stuff kind of requires a bird's eye view that you don't get when you're so intimately exposed to the game. But I just thought that that was a fun thing that happened before the game. I loved the tailgate. Tailgate was fantastic. It was rocking all day. Killer food, killer music. Uh, shouts to Aaron Espinosa, our new director of tailgates for making sure that the fan fest had a smaller footprint this year so that there is a little bit more space for all of the various tents and sgs to have their appropriate room and we don't feel so cramped in on top of each other and all of those things that i thought were executed perfectly for the tailgate this year and as much as we hate sunday night kickoffs it was nice to have a full day of tailgating in so that everyone can get back together and frankly i saw people that i have not seen in two years at this match whether that's covid related or whether that's you know simply people feeling a little bit more comfortable and excited about coming back to the game It was fantastic to see faces that I have not seen in a very, very long time, and so it felt like a bit of a homecoming, almost like we were back again, returning to to full strength once again. And it was a great game to be a part of in all the pregame festivities, and then of course the game starts, and and things kind of went from bad to worse for us there in that first half. Thirteen minutes in, our star new right back Escobar gets injured and has to be replaced, and in a curious moment. It's Hollingshead that comes in to replace at right back. He is not typically a right back. He normally starts at left or left center back, normally not playing on the right side of the defense, but I thought he did a fantastic job really throughout the course of the game as a right back for us. At first we were thinking, well, why, why isn't this Kim Moon-Wan? That was our right back last year. We would assume that he would be number two on the depth chart, but we know that the team is attempting to deploy him as a midfielder this year. And then after the match, we got a comment from Turandolo that said he's, quote, not quite match fit yet, which I thought was a very, very telling statement about the fitness level of Kim Moon-Wan, whether that is a return from injury or or simply an overall fitness. And then, of course, in the 18th minute, one thing we absolutely did not want to see was Portland get that early goal. And a deflected ball off the chest of Mamadou Fall finds itself at the feet of Chara, who has a quasi-bike, people are calling it a bike, I'm not so convinced it was a bike, but the overhead kick nonetheless perfectly placed beats Maxime Crepeau, and they take themselves a 1-0 lead, which allowed them to play the kind of Portland football for the rest of the match that we absolutely hate watching. When they shut down, get very compact, start creating a ton of fouls and very little space and the game becomes very frustrating from that point on Uh, as we get into the second half we were surprised to see carlos vela not return for the second half which had everyone wondering what his injury status was and what was going on there and then of course in the 61st minute we have a red card for bravo which allowed us to then really be the aggressor throughout the remaining 30 35 minutes of the match one that finally saw us break the deadlock in the 93rd minute Mamadou fall nets one into the back of the net. So why don't we go ahead and just get some initial thoughts around the game before we wrap up this game and get into the next segment of the show, boys.
1: One of the things that I want to point out in the first half of the match Seeing as how I'm in the, on the east side of the stadium, I got to see the left flank side of the formation, which was uh, Diego Palacios and Brian Rodriguez, and I felt that Diego Palacios had done an actual a good a good job of pressing forward, trying to move the uh, the flow of the pitch up and press and getting it uh, getting more of actual uh, of a midfield position than an actual defensive position. And I felt like his work right was was very good for the game. Brian Rodriguez, again, has to be mentioned because of the very nice cross that he had to Mamadou Fall for the goal to tie us at the death. I thought that the match went as well as it could be given the circumstances, especially the fact that once Portland got that early goal, they definitely took the foot off the gas to, in offensive respects. And and shifted gears to being more defensive minded. And you could see that as soon as that, that tying goal went in, all of a sudden now Portland is now actively trying to attack to try and uh, get the lead again. But I thought the match played well. Uh, obviously having an injury at the very beginning is uh, something that's unexpected and you have to work with it. Uh, I hope that if Escobar is injured still, that that injury is not going to be for much longer we will get more of an update. I think that the club is going to release status of that uh, tomorrow on Thursday.
2: My initial reactions were, or what I didn't want, was an early-ish goal, which is what causes Portland always to close up, right? So the formula against Portland, if you want an entertaining game for 90 minutes versus uh, frustration or beating your head against the wall we're playing Portland and they scored first, is score first yourself. And LAFC didn't start off badly. I think it was a, Pretty good match. It was a toss-up at the beginning of the game, but Jimmy Chara reacted first to a ball. that was bouncing in our 18. Uh, we did a good job of blocking it, but no one followed it up. And, you know, he's obviously come with um, a creative thought of ways to put balls on frame. And uh, and I'll talk more about us not doing that very well later, but uh, he did that and, and, and he did it well and went over Maxime Cropot. He didn't get asked to be involved too much, and he wasn't able to get to that. And it was a, it was a good shot over where he was blocking the, the right angle, but not for that type of shot. Um, after that, like the, the low block, it's gonna be basically offense versus defensive versus that turns into counterattack. And our defense was tested. They did you know counterattack a handful of times, and I thought Murillo and um Mamadou fall did a really good job of having those one-on-one or two-on-two situations, handling those with class, without fouls. So big ups to them. And the last piece, you kind of mentioned it with Hollingshead, you know, I'm glad that he's ambidextrous. He can play on both, both flanks, the right or the left. He moved to the left after Palacios came off and then Latif came on as a right, defender, but really he was playing in the center midfield. And then Kaelin Acosta was there at times, Julia Sanchez. It was almost like a midfield by committee. And someone or what was closest to the right side is going to take care of that. So, and that was after the red card. And I think we did a good job of not taking our foot off the gas, hoping that Rayito keeps growing into the season. I think he's learning slowly when to kind of take those one-on-one situations on versus finding the right pass and was then trying to shoot. I think he would get all those mixed up. He's still doing it, but he's slowly figuring out the right decision for the right situation. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And it's an, if it's if it continues on this trajectory, I think his goals are going to come into fruition and getting seen by Europe in the way that he wants to be seen. And I think it'll be a good thing for us in terms of playoff hopes and uh, continuing to score goals, put up assists, and uh, make an MLS Cup, hopefully.
0: You alluded to something in that comment about LAFC shots that I'd really like to hear more on from you, because obviously one can look at the stat line and see that LAFC had 25 shots. However, only six of them on frame, nine of them off frame, two notably that stick out in my head, one by Ilya Sanchez and another by Chicho Arango, where they got set up with some beautiful dimes by B Rod right to the top of the box and just fired them into the 3252. Obviously, 10 of those shots being blocked. You know, you got to take the shot when you have the space and firing, you know, what, about 15 shots into the person right in front of you is is probably not the best recipe for success. But Christian, I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts are on LAFC's shooting in this match.
2: Yeah, it's frustrating to try to shoot when you get into the 18 when they have eight or nine people in the box, which is why they had so many blocks, right? So I think a couple of things were happening, at least in those two shots, where they were clearly... The most open and had a decent size the goal open for them to shoot at but i think because they hadn't kind of experienced uh, the ability to to have a open shot at least Elias sanchez it felt like he leaned back last second a little too much and that that's always going to lift the ball right and i think it's because he was going for perfect placement versus putting it hard on frame there were so many bodies and he had enough chunk of the goal to shoot at that uh, with his quality he could have at the very minimum forced a save and there was so much congestion. Anyone could have got the ball in front of the goal, but his technique up until the last second was great. Cause he let it run just enough across his body where he, he opened up the angle to his right, the goalies left, but he still didn't get a chance to really put it on frame for teacher. I'm not exactly sure. He, he also leaned back too much, same missed technique, but I think it wasn't as straightforward. He had to let it run across his body. He He had enough time to really just run onto it and just put it, put, lean forward and shoot like make sure his his body was over the ball so it stayed down and I don't know why he leaned back either I don't understand I'm sure I mean that Chirundo is going to put this on video they're going to have all kinds of drills where Rayito or um, Vela are going to go down the line and put a diagonal ball to the top of the 18 and everyone's going to have to you know lean forward lean forward and shoot put it with laces or if you're going to put it to the side foot Side netting, but lean forward, always lean forward, especially if you're that close to the goal, because leaning backwards is always going to put it over the frame.
1: One thing that uh, I wanted to mention that you had reminded me of, did anybody realize that on the goal that Mamadou Fall scored, Chicho Arango actually did push Mamadou Fall forward so that he would he would press up closer to the net?
0: You know, I saw that tweeted by someone whose name I should know to thank them who pointed that out to us all and i saw it retweeted by a number of different parties and the name is escaping me at the moment and if that person is out there listening i'm very sorry because were it not for that person who had tweeted it out no i would not have caught it in the moment i'm blocked off from that view in the 3252 and uh you know obviously i can't see what's going on in that far corner anyway but that was fantastic to see that not only had someone discovered that but That that's how the play had gone down, that our striker told our center back, no, man, you go and get this one. You got this because they didn't know if the ball was going to be on the deck or in the air. And of course, it it came in on the deck and fall closed it out. One thing I I did want to kind of ask your thoughts on real quick, something that has been a a quasi controversy, if you will, is the goal celebration by Mamadou Fall. You're up a man. You've just tied the game there's still an opportunity to perhaps net the game-winning goal. And yet he took a moment to celebrate. And some people are riding him for that, for not having the awareness to simply pick up the ball and run back out to the middle of the field. And I'm curious if at all where you stand on the quote-unquote controversy of the Mamadou Fall celebration.
1: Until you just said it right now, hadn't even registered with me. But now that you mention it, sure, it probably would have been better to have a little bit more situational awareness. I think that that might come with age and experience, but at the same time to a player like Mama Dufal, who is, gets so invigorated by the 3252 and is just so passionate. I don't mind seeing that either. I really enjoy seeing players when they do well, especially when they score goals right there next to the 3252 and they participate with some of the fans that are there, what have you. I, I like seeing that. So on one hand, I understand it. And on another hand, it doesn't really bother
2: me. I think You hit the nail on the head there. He's young. So I don't think he was really thinking about how much time was left and whether or not he can get the go ahead or goal. But I think, honestly, there was a happy medium here. He could have easily, the, the the lap he did much more quickly, right? He could have gone to where Owen Wilson was, uh, Wesley McKinney, and uh you know probably DJ Flick was there shout out to him uh, and then gone to the 3252 real quick and and kind of did did a little, little lap and then ran got the ball and gone back so I, um but i think he, even though It causes some valuable seconds. I think it'll be a learning experience. And I think next time he'll be able to celebrate and take the ball back quickly. I think it did cost us maybe 20 to 30 seconds that we could have gotten a ball back in and he could have been at the end of it himself. And then he could have celebrated as long as he wanted to after the game.
0: Look, when you score a goal to tie a game in the 93rd minute, You run across the pitch and you're looking at System of a Down and Dr. Green Thumb and Owen Wilson. And they each got to look into each other's eyes and Cheryl. Wow. I think it's kind of hard for him to really be focused on the game in that moment. A lot of flack for LAFC for having so many celebrities at the game. I I don't think people realize that they're not celebrities here. They're just fans. You know, these people love football, too, and they love coming out to a game and they love the LAFC atmosphere. One other thought on the game that crossed my mind as I was watching it were our corners. We had 12 corners on the game last year. And, and I've harped on this many times in this show about LAFC's inability to create scoring chances from corners. And when Vela takes our corners, I feel really confident in this team's ability to create something out of it. However, after Vela came out of the match and something we heralded Acosta for and upon his signing was we thought, oh, great, finally there's someone else other than Vela that can put in a dime of a corner. However, I have to be honest, I was pretty disappointed in his service from corners throughout the match. And not to harp on the guy, he's new, and he's a fantastic signing, and he's a great talent, but I just, I was curious if I was the only one who thought those corners were lacking in delivery.
2: You're spot on. I think there was maybe two of them where he couldn't get over the first person, and it's not what we're used to at Colorado and Dallas with the U.S. Men's National Team. I think at the end of the game, he kicked the floor at one point. So I just think he had an off game overall. I'm hoping it's a blip in regards to his quality that he usually comes with in each one of the games. So, yeah, I think he really had an opportunity to stamp as a number two free kick taker while Vela came off at halftime. And I don't think he really was able to stamp that. Um, you know, Rayito had some really good corners, and I'm not used to saying that either. But I know he at Peñarolo, that that was one of his roles so hopefully acosta could change that in the next few games yeah again one of those things
1: where didn't even register right it's you know you you mention it you think about it and you're like oh yeah that that is those are true statements but just as a casual fan spectating and things like that it hadn't really registered and it it's one of those things where you would think that Working on corners is not something that you would need time for adjustment with a new team. You know, ball placement is ball placement is ball placement. And if you're a specialist who is able to take your corners or free kicks uh, because of your ability to place the ball, it shouldn't matter if the the players you're kicking the ball to are new teammates or if the grass you're kicking or the pitch that you're on is a new pitch. I think that, like Christian said, he might have just had an off game. Kellen Acosta did also take a, a, what looked to be a little bit of a serious knock near the end of the match. On Sunday, you got to hope that uh, everyone, of course, is going to stay healthy and fit and that people fall into their roles and what they were brought in for and, and fulfill the the responsibilities as, uh, as needed.
2: By the way, that serious knock, he kicked the ground. Like, that was weird. I didn't get that. But I think, like I said, off night, he was probably in his head. And he put in a good 90-minute shift. I'm not going to say defensively he wasn't there. I just think offensive quality wasn't what we're used to.
0: The stars on the night for me, B-Rod and Fall obviously take first and second honors for an amazing shift from B-Rod. He is a completely different player so far this season, a revelation for us. It hasn't really resulted in too much of him finding the back of the net versus Portland, but he was our offense. He was the only one who seemed to be taking on that low block head on. And his work rate, even throughout the latter half of the match, to me was phenomenal. Fall obviously gets the goal it's hard not to award him a man of the match scarf for that. He did have a few moments defensively when uh, I felt he could have handled the situation a little bit better, but offensively, he's such a threat for us. I loved blessing in this game. I thought his energy and actions once he got into the match were sensational. To me, Ilya Sanchez also was a beast in this game. Uh, I loved his work. However, uh, of the four, It is only Mamadou Fall who finds himself on the MLS team of the week. So congratulations to Mamadou Mbake Fall for finding himself into the MLS team of the week, rounding out the rest of our news and notes. We would like to give a congratulations on behalf of all of us at shoulder to shoulder podcast to Bradley Wright Phillips, who has announced his retirement, our backup goalkeeper John McCarty announced that he is going to be having a child coming up soon. So congratulations to the McCarty's. And of course, A very happy birthday today to Chicho Arango from all of us at S2S. With that, folks, uh, we got two segments upcoming for you guys. We have our interview with DJ Flick. That will be followed by our opponent correspondence section to prepare us for the Miami match uh, with Franco Panizos. That'll be up in just a second for you guys. So we'll be right back with our interview with DJ Flick after this hey this is john thorington and you're listening to the shoulder to shoulder podcast
1: all right and for this week we have brought back our interview segment and we are going to interview for you chris dj Flickt apari he is los angeles based for our audience who doesn't know dj flicked is a grammy nominated producer and songwriter who has worked with the likes of sublime with rome fifth harmony zendaya wiz khalifa just to name a few and uh he recently did the song do it for la with DJ uh, with uh, Kid Ink and Be Real. So please welcome to the show, DJ Flick. Hey, what's up? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you very much for coming out, man. It's been a wild couple of weeks, man. It's it's great (laughs) hearing that song at the Bank of California, hearing it on the radio. You can call in or request. And it's
3: what's it been like for you? I've been really busy since the song dropped. You know, Um, the response of the song has been incredible. You know, everyone seems to genuinely love the song. So I've been really, really busy just just making sure that, you know, we we had a smooth release. We care about that. So
1: <laughs> I mean it was it was great timing too, you know, obviously dropping it at the beginning of the season. For those of you that have not necessarily had a chance to hear it, the song is do it for LA. You can get it on Apple iTunes or anywhere that you would download music. There's also a music video that you can find on YouTube. And, you know, it definitely has a little bit of that Cypress Hill feel to it with uh, Be Real, but it's it's definitely 100% authentic Los Angeles. Before we get into the song, why don't you tell some of our listeners who may not necessarily have been able to be familiar with your career, a little bit about yourself and how you became a producer songwriter.
3: Like you had mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm a, humbly speaking, you know, I'm a Grammy nominated, record producer, songwriter, and I also DJ. And um, I've worked with a lot of people, man, a lot of artists from all the artists you had mentioned. Um, I think maybe a couple that you didn't mention were like um, Fifth Harmony, Lauren Hill, Wyclef John. I do a lot of reggae stuff. So, you know, The Common Kings, Revolution, Sublime With Rome, you had mentioned. But yeah, I'm just a, uh, you know, producer, songwriter. I was born in the Philippines, and I migrated here to the U.S. when I was about four years old. And I just had the, uh, not really a musical family, but music was was introduced into my life at a very, very young age. You know, my dad would always, you know, teach me new instruments. He played a few instruments, and, and I excelled in music. You know, I was one of those, like, was basically a band geek from the hood, to be honest with you. But yeah, so, you know, all through high school, just really excelling in performance, playing trumpet and, you know, playing all brass instruments. And and I was also a, a music major, performance major. And and at the time, you know, during college, I was also starting to DJ because um, a lot of my friends were DJ. So I just thought I'd start DJing, too. And I fell in love with the, you know, real like 88 to 92 golden era hip hop you know real boom bap shit and and yeah you know like I fell in love with DJing and and hip-hop that was that was really my thing you know a couple of the homies in the in the neighborhood they were producing and so they they you know they had taught me how to use NPC and and that's how I got into like just starting to make beats and stuff and luckily I had a musical background so a lot of it you know came naturally to me just you know making beats and um you know Playing keys and stuff like that. So,
1: so you have gone on to mention that you uh, do a lot of reggae music. Would you say that those are some of the uh, your favorite artists to perform with, or is it more so? Do you have uh, a different genre of artists that you really, really, truly enjoy, or are they all equal across the board?
3: They're all really, really equal, man. Like, I mean, hip hop, of course, right? And then I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I'm not, I'm not really known for a certain sound. I I just I just try to stick with the youthful sound. (laughs) Um, But the, you know, the reggae stuff, you know, I I do a lot of that. And I I am Grammy nominated with the Common Kings for reggae and stuff. And obviously I did the news, you know, when Sublime with Rome first came back, I did three songs on that new album. I I did Can You Feel It uh, featuring Wiz Khalifa, you know, so it's a lot of my backbone is that it is reggae and hip hop. But I also have big pop records, you know, so, you know, I, I did a lot of the stuff with Fifth Harmony, you know, I, I you know, I, I did really, really well with Fifth Harmony. So, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place, man, to be honest with you, but I just try to do and perform quality music.
1: To be honest, Sublime with Rome, Revolution, those are some of my favorite bands. So, you know, by all means, man, what you're doing with some with some of these bands and out there, it's, it's really great work. And again, we can see it. In "Do It for LA," the recent song that just came out. Now, let's shift gears a little bit to football. How long have you been a football fan and and been a fan of the beautiful game?
3: You know what, man? I'm gonna be honest with you. I have a really like love hate relationship with soccer, and I think it just I just think it started when it, in when I was in uh, junior high because I didn't make it onto the soccer team because <laughs> because I was because I was you know I just wasn't good enough. That's the crushing
1: dreams, right? That's where it's like, you're going out and you're trying to make a team
3: and, you know, I mean, but you know, that that's, that's why, you know, I, you know, I play a lot of hockey. That's why I ended up choosing hockey. Cause I felt like the sports, those two sports were kind of the same, you know, with the, you know, scoring goals and the net, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, we're adding ice to the, to the equation here, but, but, you know, like, you know, I've, I've always, I've always loved soccer, man. And, and I, you know, I followed, you know, a lot of the World Cup and stuff, especially um, Barcelona. You know, I really, I really, I really love Barcelona, you know, just, you know, following them, you know, winning the cup in what, nine, 11, and, and I think it was 2015. Yeah. 2015.
1: A lot of championships definitely out of camp now. And, and at what point did LAFC come on your radar? How did you become aware of them?
3: So I don't know if you guys know Kevin Blumfield, but he's one of my best friends, to be honest with you. He had season tickets since day one. And whenever he couldn't bring his wife, he would bring me. I was like his plus one. You know what I mean? Hey,
1: that's and, a good uh, friend in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And he had and he had great seats over in uh, he was in the South End or at one in 124. And it was a perfect, you know, view of the the 3252. And he brought me along and and you know, he kind of taught me the culture, to be honest with you, you know, and because it was a, a lot of it was very new to me. So, but man, yeah, I fell in love, fell in love after that first, that first
1: match. So, yeah. And tell us about that experience in, in 2018, when the season started, what was your first man. experience like at the bank and your first impression of the 3252?
3: I think that, I mean, you just said it right there. I, I think when you walk in and, you know, the 32-52 is warming up, you know, and, you know, when I come from band, I was in drum line and a lot of this stuff and, you know, was, you're hearing those drums and just you could hear almost like this tension, like because the match hasn't started yet, you know, so you're seeing, oh, man, this feels exciting. You know, I eventually got season tickets next to Kevin, you know what I mean? And a lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually a, I'm, I'm a fan, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of LAFC. I, I didn't just do the song. You know what I mean? Right. I'm actual Man, I'm in the I'm in the Expo originals. It's on Bayon, you know. Big big up to the homies, Monty, you know, Myra, Fern, Benny, you know, All those guys, yeah. Fernando, you know, Joanna. Like man, you know, you big up to them. It's my family right there. But yeah, I mean, seeing that you know, seeing that 32:52, especially when they do you know, jump for LA Football Club, it's like whoa! <laughs> it's like you know, if you've never seen that before, it's, you're just it's it's so like incredible to watch you know
1: and have you had an opportunity to be in the north end for a whole match
3: no not a whole match man But I, I, unfortunately I got, I got a bad back man so I can go in there for a little bit, but I can't go in there the whole time, man. I, I got to sit down at a certain point, but I just moved my seats. Actually, all of us did. Me, Kevin, all of us, we, we moved our seats to one one next to the 3252. And so, you know, we feel the energy. We're just, we're just not jumping up and down like that. You know, and it's so funny because Kevin has a bad back too, so... <laughs>
1: Well, you know what the yeah. the important thing about it is that it's it's bringing that awante that that uh, supporter supporter culture and the vibe to those matches, and it doesn't matter where you sit, right? You don't have to be in the north end to necessarily be able to to participate, right? You can do it from any point in the stadium, so it doesn't matter if you're in the south end or 101, right? Like. It's, yeah. You're gonna feel that vibe, and you're gonna be able to bring it all match long.
3: Yeah, I think the 32:52 sets the tone. You know, you feel their energy anywhere in the stadium.
1: I reached out to Rich, and I was like, "Hey, man, do you have any questions? that you think I should ask DJ Flick?" And he goes, "Yeah, ask him if he feels <laughs> that the passion for football and music are similar." I believe so, in a
3: sense that you know, I guess, I guess the way I could, I could put it is, you know, I think you know, football is is a, it's it's a very emotional sport you know, and, and, it, and, it, and it brings out a lot of emotion, you know, I mean, this, this last match we just had against Timber, you know, I mean, we, I mean, well, we scored in the, in the stoppage time, you know, and, and, and when he scored, it's like we won the cup, but I think, I think, yeah, it, similar things is, you know, is just the emotion that, you know, when I, when I make a record, you know, I try and get emotions out of people. I mean, and that's what music does, you know, it can make you feel sad and make you feel happy, you know, but, I mean, as far as like also the sport itself, you know, with the players, you know, it all it all comes from hard work. You know, you got to put in work, man. Like, you know, nothing's nothing's a gift, you know. So, uh, you know, enough respect to to the players, man, because they put in so much work, you know, to 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 be where they're at and and to perform like that. It's it's, it's so incredible. You
1: know, Uh, let's start talking a little bit about the song and the collaboration. Do it for L.A. How did the collaboration come to be and how did you get in touch with Kid Ink and Be Real?
3: So, I mean, I mean, if, I mean, if we start from square one, it's, it you know, like, like me and, and, and manager Nick Ferrer, you know, with, you know, what we always talk about is it's always about the song first for us, because that's the business we're in. And the song has to, has to be an amazing song. It has to be a great song. And, and it also has to fit what it's for, you know, I mean, I never do sports songs. I, I just, I just don't, I just, I make records, you know, I, I make records for people. So, you know, I was never asked to do an LAFC song. I was just fan and you know it, it all started out like right here when I'm in the studio you know and and you know it all starts out with like a you know melody I don't know if I have something up here so yeah so that mel that melody that uh, you know it was uh, man I already forgot the melody right Oh man, I'm messing up here. <laughs> okay, so so you get it, right? You get it, but it all starts there. You know, it all starts with that melody, you know, and and I feel like also the ending of it. That you know that that chord there. It's like let go, you know what I mean? Like something's about to drop, you know. But anyways, but yeah, like long story short, it all starts with that melody, man. And and you know, and then and then for me it's like, okay, how do I make this, you know, it's already an anthemic melody, you know, and how do I make it LA? And of course, what what's what's more LA than a than a, a trumpet, man? And you know, even better, uh, you know, a mariachi corrido style trumpet, you know? And so so that's 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 where it ended up going to you know, was, was really that trumpet, man. And when I made that track, you know, I, I also did the hook. Right. And so, you know, so I sent, I sent that to Rich and, and I emailed it to him, you know, I CC'd my boy, Kevin, Kevin introduced me to Rich, you know, and, and I sent it to Rich and I said, I said, Rich, man, this, this could be something dope for, for LA. And, and, you know, I, and I just named it, I just did the hook and I just named it, do it for LA, you know, and, and he, and he replied back so fast and he, and he was just like, Yo, he, I think he put like hashtag for Los Angeles. Like he said, anything for Los Angeles, I'm with it. Let's go. Like, you know, what do you need from us? It was, it was that fast, you know? And of course it was just like, all right, Rich, let's let us slow down here. We need some artists here. Who, who are we going to get? You know, who, who can we get and who, and who is, who is, you know, they, they have to represent LA because it's an LA song, you know? So, so you, you can't just get, you know, whoop-de-whoop on the record (laughs) so it's a big deal you know so so that's when we um you know there there was a lot of artists that we went through i'm not going to name them but i think it, it all boiled down to it was like you know be real of course and especially with the you know with the latino community he we knew he would hit well with with lafc and then um you know and we also wanted the street cool you know not saying that that be real isn't, but we, you know, we we wanted, you know, we want an, another rapper on there that would that would fit perfectly, and and that's when Kid came into the picture. So they both murdered their verses, and they they really were excited to do it. I think that was most important that they that they were excited to do it. So I mean, that's how it came along.
1: And so, what was the uh, overall process like? Uh, recording how long did it take from inception of the idea until it was finally done how long had this been in the works until it got released at the beginning of the season
3: a lot of people don't know this a lot of people don't know this but actually you know when i turned that track into rich he loved it so much you know and i was at a match last season i think it was the beginning of last season and he was just like, Hey, I have a surprise for you. And I said, Really? What's what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, just come, just come down the field with me. And so I went down the field with him. And I think it was like right before the match started at like 7:22. He slapped the song. And I was like, really? wow. Really? I was like, yes. Wow. Yes. And then so also what people don't know is, you know. You know, this means this meant a lot to to Rich and I. You know, and and making sure we did this correctly. You know, and and making sure that the that the fans really liked the song. You know, and so Rich was like, "Why don't we? You know, why don't we play it all season, and just not tell anyone?" And so a lot of people don't know this, but that track was playing before the guys were introduced, before LA, before the announcer came on. That track came on, that trumpet came on every single time last
1: season. Wow! I, now it makes me want to go back and be like, "Man, did did I hear it?" You know, it's like now yeah. you know it, I, that's incredible. I I bet you a lot of people haven't even recognized that as being like a sound that they've heard before.
3: Right. So I mean, so kind of like it it kind of organically happened, man. The way it worked, and and I think by the time we released it. People don't know this, but they're really familiar with the song already. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that tried to Shazam that song and it never came up, you know? So, but that I mean, we didn't even have B Real or Kid Inc. on it yet. We were testing right. it. We were really testing the record and really seeing, and it really worked. I mean, that that trumpet when it came in, you know, it it got everyone quiet. Everyone's you could almost felt you almost felt like, yo, like what is that? You know, what is that? what is that trumpet and then when the beat dropped I you know we would look around and everyone would be bobbing their head we're like oh like you know like this 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 looks like it's gonna work you know but yeah so that's I mean that's how you know that's how it was introduced
1: and again you know we touched on it at the very beginning but what's it like for you to now hear it in its entirety and in its final form and seeing the effects and the smiles and just people vibing to that song in the bank
3: in the stadium when I hear it it's i mean one word goosebumps i still get it man i i get goosebumps man because it's it, you know when you make a song and you know it the song goes through a journey you know it's like from 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 like what i told you from the melody to getting b-railed to getting kidding and you know and 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 then hearing it in the stadium like that it's it's you get goosebumps man and and, and and when when you see people that that genuinely love the song, it's like it's almost like you did your job, you know, so it's great hearing it on the radio. For me, that never gets old. I've had a few songs playing the radio now, and that still never gets old, man. And big up to DJ E-Man, CC for dropping it, um, DJ Triple Excel and Kiss FM. Like, man, these guys really supported the song and and, and you know, still supporting the song, you know, and, and so that yeah man that that'll never get old for me that's i'm like smiling in the car man when you hear my song.
1: so (laughs) i think i think a lot of people from the lafc community are smiling when they hear that song come on the radio because we all have that that uh kinship with the club and we want to see the club become a, a global brand and it's things like this that help move it along in that process
3: yeah and that and that was like a big thing for me it's like you know when we did the record it was like okay how do i sneak in uh, you know, obviously, we're doing the record for LAFC and it's a do it for LA. It's an LA homage, right? But like for me, it was really important to put LAFC in the whole, in the chorus. You know, LAFC yeah. all day. I, I, we say it in the chorus, you know.
1: And it came and it came together and it, I mean, it's great, dude. I, I think that all people from all different genre preferences of music appreciate this song and they get down with it. Yeah,
3: I'm pretty sure everyone loves it besides the Galaxy fans.
1: Well, you know, we're not really concerned about them. You know what I'm saying? They're going to hate on all of us today. Is there going to be any potential remixes for this song? or Are we going to potentially see like a full album come out?
3: So, I mean, Rich and I are already talking about future songs. Uh, We are talking about that already. As far as the remix, I don't know if I could speak on that right now. But um, it is something that we are, you know, we're toying with the idea of doing a remix. But the other thing for us, too, is that the record is doing so well, as is. You know what I mean? And so I don't know if it's time for a remix just yet. You know, I, I, think, I think everyone loves the record as, as, as it already is. So, so why switch it up real quick, you know? Yeah. I think we let it ride for a little bit longer.
1: It'd be nice to get it on a vinyl. I know that we have an LAC vinyl club. It'd be nice and dope to get it on a vinyl, man. Get it, bring it to you guys, the three of you. Get you guys to sign it real fast. Post it up on a wall.
3: I think, I think that's definitely a, a possibility, Rich. We should probably try to make that happen, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, we are, we are, we are, you know, in talks of doing some, some merch for the that's song dope. and stuff. But I mean, um, I'm a DJ, so when you say vinyl, I'm like, let's, let's go, let's do it. You know absolutely what,
1: I mean? what about you is there anything you want to plug in terms of future projects ne- not necessarily LSU related but just for you as an individual is there anything that you've got coming up that you would like our listeners to be on the lookout for
3: you know what I have a few records coming out some of them I can't mention just yet because they're, you know that some of them are, are with big artists and they can't they, I want them to announce it be, you know not and not the producer to announce it <laughs> but um these records are not they're not technically DJ Flick records they're they're records that I produced for for artists and stuff so so I'll let them take take the lead on the on on announcing these records and stuff but but I do I did just do a deal with the Philippines a song deal and you know I'm working with all the top artists of the Philippines and it's it's my working with the artists from my country that I was born in and you know but yeah, shout out to them, KZ, Inigo, Jada, Morissette, Moira. These are all big Filipino artists, man. They they kill it down there and and um yeah, I got to work with them It was, it was really cool. So, yeah, look, look out for that. And um, you know, I'm constantly working, so you you're definitely going to, you know, uh, the best way is just honestly follow me on socials at uh DJ Flick. That's uh DJ F L I C T. And yeah, just keep up with me, man. I have a lot of exciting things and and um also a lot of exciting things obviously lafc so
1: beautiful um so again this has been uh, dj flick at dj flick dj flict he is one of the three artists that put together the do it for la song for lafc the anthem the 2022 anthem for lafc and of course if you go to any of the games this season at the bank and for future seasons I'm, i guarantee you you're going to hear this song Several times uh, requested on your local radio station, but we do have one final question, and it is the name of our show. So we would like to know what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you?
3: Man, shoulder to shoulder, it means sticking together. You know, whether we win or lose, you know, we, we stick together, not just uh, as a community and and representing LA, but as family. I think that's that's the best way I could put it. Shoulder to shoulder, that's family, man.
1: <laughs> perfect. That's 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 perfect. So, again, thank you very much for taking the time us today you know we will definitely see you at future matches we'll have to do a formal introduction in person right not over zoom but yeah. uh really appreciate it and we look forward to seeing you at, at, at the next match man i really appreciate it hey thanks chris and and, and and thanks for having me on the show man
3: keep doing your thing no problem
1: appreciate it And so with that, we'll be right back with our final break and segment, and uh, we will help close out this episode. Hey, what's up, everybody?
2: This is Alexis Guerreros. I'm the fat guy on the Cooligans. you're listening to shoulder to shoulder podcast.
1: All right. We're back from our break. And with us this week, we have a guest from the inter Miami CF club. And that is uh, Franco Panizo. He is from the Miami total football radio. That's the Spanish version of football F U T B O L. And uh, Franco, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate you making time for us. Hey, thanks for having me on, brother. Thanks. I appreciate the invite. Looking forward to talking some football, football, or soccer, however you'd like to to call it. Absolutely. And uh, for those of you that would be interested in following his work, uh, Franco is at Franco Penizo, P-A-N-I-Z-O. And the Miami Total Football Radio is at M-I-A Total F U T B O L, and uh, you also just mentioned too before we came on that you are a uh, you are working with the Sun Sentinel there in Miami. Congratulations, that's awesome.
4: Thank you, thank you. I just started this week. Monday was my first official day, so very excited about it. It's been a long time to get a full time writing job at a newspaper, especially my hometown newspaper. So I lived in New York for eight years, and it's taken some time. It's taken some time, but I'm very very excited about the opportunity and looking forward to, to really get getting going it's obviously only been a couple of days officially and a lot of that's just getting everything situated and, and learning all the different systems and processes so uh, looking forward to getting my my feet wet and my head go diving in head first with, in terms of the journalistic aspect so that'll be soon
1: perfect well for our guests that probably have not had much experience with uh, your show and your media outlets why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your show and what it is that your radio show does for your community yeah so
4: Miami Total football radio or miami total football radio as i say on the show in spanish rolling the r very i named it that way on purpose so you could do it bilingually obviously but like la south florida miami fort lauderdale is a very uh latin There's a very hispanic american influence right maybe a little bit more south american here whereas in la it's probably a bit more mexican american um, or mexican in general but you, you get the idea anyway the show is about inter miami we we cover the team ins and out on the ins and outs, the daily happenings. We provide all the insight, analysis, opinions, news, everything. We, we analyze the games. We preview the, the upcoming ones. We have special guests on. We've had a few players on this season, which we're looking to do more of. We're bringing on more and more guests as well. Other people like like you're doing with me here that can come and help preview the the upcoming game. And it's it's myself, two other journalists that cover the team on a regular basis uh, Jose Armando who is a Honduran journalist and uh, Steve Brenner who is English so we've got a nice little melting pot there on the podcast a lot of different opinions a lot of different uh, talking points as well so we, we tend to debate a good bit and it's it's meant to be insightful but it's also meant to be fun and, and we, we definitely banter about and, and rip on each other a bit as well as just laugh about other things in general so it's it's like a we try to keep it professional obviously but we also try to make it lighthearted so it's not so heavy and, and dense but yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a fine balance but I think we do a good job that people here in South Florida and actually other markets in MLS have, have really taken to it and, and tune in I, I've gotten comments from different markets fans of different markets whether it's Washington DC or Atlanta um, just people that tune in and just like to hear the show just because they 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 think it keeps them up to date with what's going on at Inter-Miami.
1: That's awesome. You know, and Inter-Miami is definitely one of those clubs where it's on the global scale, especially with your owner, David Beckham. Hey, not, <clears> my, know, speak- not
4: my owner. Not my owner. I don't I don't play for the team.
1: Well, no, but of course it is club association and things like that. But, um, you know, it was, it was actually very interesting. You know, you look at the social media followings and uh, Inter-Miami is definitely, I think it's like number two when it comes to social media followings just because of, I would say Beckham and and Phil Neville and things like that, you know, it definitely has made a presence on the global market. It's a shame, though, unfortunately, that that hasn't necessarily transpired in the first couple of seasons. Inter-Miami ended last season in 11th place in the Eastern Conference. They were 12-5 and 17. So... With that, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your offseason, some of the additions, some of the marquee additions that you guys had. DeAndre Yedlin, the U.S. Men's National Team, right back. Emerson Rodriguez, uh, Jean Mota. So just can you kind of give us an update on how your offseason went, how you feel your team is prepared going into this new 2022 season, and uh, what you think of some of the new signings?
4: I'm smiling because I'm going to banter with you here. My off season is great. I went to Europe for a month. Uh, and I backpacked around seven different countries, so that was fantastic. Now Inter Miami's offseason was a lot, a lot lot busier. They made a lot of a lot of moves, obviously got rid of a lot of the roster, complete overhaul and and brought in a lot of new pieces. the reset button was pushed and it's a much younger team this season. Rod- Rodolfo Pizarro who, Maybe a lot of people in in LA are familiar with because he's played for Mexico's international team or national team. Excuse me, he's been loaned out back to to Mexico, back to Monterrey, so he's no longer uh, with Inter Miami, at least not for this season. Blaise Matuidi, he was waived, although it was never formally announced by the club. I mean, Phil Neville mentioned it, and you know he was asked about Blaise Matuidi in a recent press conference. He said, you know, he acknowledged that Blaise Matuidi had been waived, but the club never really. Addressed it in a press release or a tweet or anything of the like. And making it even more weird is that blaze Matuidi is an ambassador now. He's been seen at Inter Miami events, like public events that they hold, like before the season opener. He was hanging out with the fans in the in the tailgate area. He's wearing his Inter Miami gear. I saw him. He obviously was familiar with who I am because I've interviewed him at different points throughout the last couple of years. And and I asked him, you know, how you know what's what he's up to. He said, "Oh, I'm an ambassador." And that's all he said. It felt like he was trained for that. He's like, I'm an ambassador. And and then I asked him if he was retired, and he said, no, no, we'll, we'll see what happens later on. So, you know, a lot of pieces have left, obviously, some significant pieces, younger pieces, like you touched on, DeAndre Yedlin, an established U.S. Men's national team. Fullback, who has experience playing at the highest levels in, in, in Europe, he's back in MLS, provides some speed out there on the wing, which, which Inter Miami needed more of. They needed a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more pace. So that's good. Gene Mota, you also mentioned him. The type of midfielder that they were hoping to get out of Blaze Matuidi, but just didn't get enough of, or not consistently enough anyway. A bit more of a two-way player, or uh, not a bit more. He, he's been more effective as a two-way player than we've seen from Matuidi in an Inter-Miami jersey. At least so far, it's only been two games, but he's picked up, you know, he's able to win the ball back, recover it quickly, and then distribute it. Gives him a little bit more technical qualities and a little bit more of an uh, an attacking link in that midfield that they were, that they were largely missing. Gregory's obviously returning. He's the captain from, from last year, uh, the team's best player in 2021. And, but he's more of a destroyer, more of a, a pit bull, a terrier there in the midfield. Just, just a guy that breaks things up a bit more. So they needed a number eight next to him. They got Ginmota. They've played together before in Brazil. They're both Brazilian. So he's definitely shown some good things. Although this last game, he like most of the team, if not all of the team did not look very, very good. So.
1: That was uh, actually my right there. My next question list last weekend, you you guys uh, played Austin and uh, it was a five to one loss. What are some of the things that went wrong in that match? And what are some of the things that you expect Phil Neville to do different and implement against LAFC? So for me,
4: just me, my analysis, my opinion of viewing the game. I mean, players didn't play well, of course, but I think the issues started first and foremost with Phil Neville's game plan and Phil Neville's lineup. And he said after the game that it was more, well, he put it on the players not following the game plan. But, but the game plan from what has come out after the match, the game plan from what I understood it would be in the lead up to the game was the Inter-Miami is going to look to counterattack. And they try to do that at times, but it just didn't work because anytime they hit a long ball, they would try to look for Ariel Lasseter. And no long ball got in behind Austin FC's defense. And part of that's probably due to how well Austin uh, FC defended because it was pretty predictable, given Inter starting lineup, who they were going to go for in the counterattacks. Ariel Lasseter, he was the only attacker on the field with speed. Mo Salih as talented as he is, does not have that speed anymore. So he's not stretching that back line. He's not getting in behind. The only one that can really do so in the attack from the starting lineup was uh, Ariel Lester. Now, DeAndre Yedlin has some speed, of course, but he's playing as a right wing back, so his starting positions are further back. He's not really going to have too many opportunities to to get in behind when you're initially trying to start a transition. So I thought the game plan didn't work. The lineup was also – I think Phil Neville made some wrong choices there. Uh, He stuck with his 5-3-2 formation that he's been going with since preseason – a big, uh, a big key to that, uh, the center back, the sweeper, Damian Lowe, Jamaican international. He was out due to an injury. And rather than go for a like for like change, Phil Neville moved around the three center backs in that five man back line to make space for Breck Shea, an MLS veteran who people are very familiar with, but is not a natural center back. And Breck Shea struggled. The other two center backs struggled. And, and just the whole team in general just looked very disjointed. And, you know, when, when a team performs that poorly, you could obviously point your finger and say, okay, this guy, this guy, and this guy didn't play well. But when it's most of the team, if not all of the team that plays poorly, then, you know, I think that's on the coach. I don't think that just it's just a coincidence that every player, almost every player had a very bad game.
1: And so what are some of the things that you expect from this weekend uh, with LAFC? It's tough to say right now, because we just had our
4: first day of availability earlier today on Tuesday. And the practice session that we saw was half the team, it, you know, a lot of the starters from from Sunday, they were doing recovery session inside the gym. So it was a very light, light session, although to Inter-Miami's credit, they let us see the entire thing. But there wasn't much to see in terms of tactics or anything of that, of that sort. So I would just be guessing here from the outside or just giving you my sensations. But I could see, I could see Inter-Miami maybe switching out of that back five, maybe, although... I think Phil Neville's pretty married to that back five, at least for now. I think maybe this past weekend, maybe opened his eyes a bit that maybe it's not the way to go. So it's possible that they move out of it, especially since they're at home. They have to dictate the tempo a bit more, try to try to control the game, but obviously LAFC has quite a bit of firepower. So, you know, if Damian Lowe's healthy, I absolutely think they stick to the back five. And I would probably put more money on them sticking with the back five. But it, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility that they move to a back four. But again, just to reiterate and be clear, I think they're sticking with the back five. What, what changes could they make uh, elsewhere if they stick with that back five? Well, if Damian Lowe's healthy, he comes back in. Leonardo Campana could start for Ariel Lassiter if Inter Miami wants to have a little bit more of the ball and try try to create in that way. Campana scored against Dalton FC. So right now it looks like it's between Leonardo and Ariel Lasseter for that, that second starting uh, forward role next to Gonzalo Higuain in the 5 3 2. I think it's also very possible, I think it's also very possible that we see Robert Taylor get a start, uh Finnish international who joined Inter Miami very late in preseason. And he, he was one of the few players that looked good against Austin FC. Granted, he came in at, at halftime and. And the game was a pretty much out of reach shortly after he came on. Cause Austin FC scored their third goal and they took their, their foot off the pedal after that, but he did look good when, when Austin FC did so because he was, he was one of the more aggressive players, one of the more forward thinking players. And I absolutely think that he projects as a starter on this team, once he's fully fit and sharp, um, maybe, maybe they push him a little bit sooner than he's than he needs to be, or than he's ready to be because, They obviously need to try to get some points after this, this big loss. So Robert Taylor is definitely someone to keep an eye on. It could be in the starting lineup, probably if he does play or does start replacing Mo Adams in that midfield three.
1: One of your uh, new additions this season was Bryce Duke, who uh, was a player for LAFC for the past two seasons. He hasn't been able to get any minutes in the first two matches. Do you feel that at some point he might get an opportunity to get to show Phil Neville what he has? I know that there was a lot of unhappy LAFC fans when we saw that we had sold him to Miami for $100,000 in Garber bucks. He was definitely a, a fan favorite to some, and I think a lot of people saw a lot of potential in him. And I think that the motivation behind the transfer was giving him an opportunity to get some more first team minutes. Uh, because I think that the staff here didn't necessarily expect him to get as many minutes as he could uh, with LAFC. So I just wanted to see what your opinion was on Bryce Duke. Right
4: now he's injured. He's recovering from an injury. Today in training, he was part of a, a group of three players that are doing individual work with the trainer off to the side, not training with the full team. So he's still coming back from from an injury suffered in preseason not sure how much longer it'll be, but it looks like he's he's making progress in terms of the recovery. So once he's healthy, I think we, he could see some minutes in different moments, and different games, but I don't see him as being a regular contributor on this team. Now, the first day of preseason, day one, talking January 17th, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we were able to see about 30 minutes of training that day. And I liked what I saw from him in the small-sided game that they played. He scored a very good goal. And- Obviously, like, as you guys probably know, look like, looks a technical player, crafty on the ball. But is he physical enough in a league like MLS? Does he have the physical qualities? Does he have the engine? You know, MLS is a, is a league in a style of football, soccer, football that's very transitional, a lot of transitions. So you, know, you have to be able to run and, and hold up in that way. Can he do that? He's a young guy, maybe, but there's a lot that goes into it. And, and he's obviously still very very young so I think he's a spot guy off the bench in certain moments in certain games throughout this season maybe later on if we're talking longer term next season season after that maybe he will have a bigger role again this is just my sensation not not anything that not any information here it's just my sensation my supposition from from the outside so I think you'll see sometime maybe an open cup different games when there's jam-packed schedules later on in the year when you have you know the tight turnarounds and there's three games in, in seven eight days things of that nature, but I don't see him being a a regular contributor on this team in 2022.
1: Let's uh, shift gears real fast and talk about some of the supporter culture there and active support in Miami. There have been some that have said that the 3252 has had a little bit of influence in some of the active support in Miami. Do you agree with that statement? And, And if so, what were some of the ways that LAFC and the 3252 have influenced Miami? I like this question. I like this question because
4: I could see why some people would say that. I can see it. I, now, I don't know if La Familia, as, as we call the supporters groups here, if they said, all right, there's certain elements of, of LAFC's supporters that we want to take. It's possible. It's possible. I, I went to a, an LA Derby game in, I'm trying to think what year it was. I don't know if it was 18 or 19, maybe 18. Uh, and I believe LAFC won that game. It was it was at Bank of California. And I remember walking around the outside of the stadium. And there was a, a much more, again, Hispanic Environment and a vibe, and then there was more of the obviously it's Mexican focus, obviously, but there was a lot of Mexican music and barbecues and things of that nature. So there is that element to Inter Miami's supporters groups. It's it's much more Latin American, obviously. Now again, talking about uh, South American uh, a bit more than the maybe Mexican American or Mexican, but so I could see why there's comparisons there. But I, I will say this because MLS, you know, is is a league where it's built on parity, not only on the field with all the weird rules and garbage bucks, as you said, but also the formulas and the recipes that the league sees as successful, right? And, you know, you could call it copy and paste. You could call it cookie cutter. You could call it, you know, any of those things, but it, there is an element to that. So, you know, LAFC, you guys, your team came out of the gates flying and the passion was there and the fervor was there. So, you know, with the teams that followed, are there things that MLS you know, that, that tries to share to the other clubs uh, or the other franchises so that they can implement some of that to try to be successful as well. I'm sure, I'm sure there's there's an element of that there at play because let's just look, for example, at Portland Timbers with Timber Joey or CF Montreal. They, they ring their bell, right? When they score a goal, Portland, they, they cut the slab um, and, and then they they hold the piece of wood up. Now other teams, expansion teams, newer teams, are inventing their own little thing, right? Like, so you had Atlanta now that that bangs the, the nail or the the hammer on the nail, which I think is, I think it looks ridiculous. I love Atlanta's stadium. I love the fan base, but I think that the, the banging of the of the nail is absurd. Anyway, uh, Charlotte this weekend, we didn't get to see them score a goal, but they had a crown and they had, you know, a celebrity sitting in there. And I, I don't know what he was going to do with the crown if they had scored or whatnot. I don't know what they had planned, but obviously they have their own gimmick now as well, Columbus, when when they opened their new stadium, now they have like three people. I, I don't know if they, they they got rid of it because I know it got a lot of backlash, but they had three people wearing the hard hats and like doing the jackhammer. So like MLS does like to copy what other teams do well, and so there's there's probably some element on some level and so, you know somewhere that you know mind me was like, all right, we got to take the good or some of the good that LAFC did to create this this passionate fan base. Um, but I, as to how much, and you know whether the fans are the ones that decided that, I, d- I don't know. But MLS does does try to build off of what what works in other markets, as as we know.
1: So with that, um, and you've alluded to the South American influence there in, uh, in in Miami. What are some of the other outside of MLS influences that you might see from La Familia if you were to look on a global scale, maybe in South America? uh or other influences outside of the united states
4: i I mean i would say that there's definitely again that south american mindset and mentality because last year when things did not go well again let's not let's not take in taken wrong here not to the level of extremism that we've seen for example recently in mexico or that we've seen at times in south america whether it's argentina or other parts but there is a level of passion and pressure that comes with this type of uh culture in the south american style and last year when the team did not do well when the team got blown out at home fans let it be known and you know there was there was booze which happens in in plenty of markets maybe not all of them but plenty but there were also some chance with choice words for the team and the players and this was you know the second year of the franchise so the expectation here because it's south florida because the people here, like in LA, they know their soccer, they know their football, they know their football. People know what they're watching. It's not like other markets that might be new to the game, that might be still be learning the game. They know what they're watching. And they know what's good and they know what's bad. So they'll let their their voices be heard if things aren't going well. And there was definitely some some of that. So there is a level of that fiery passion that that if you don't do well, the supporters can turn on you in a given game that doesn't mean they're turning their backs for forever but in that given game there was there were multiple circumstances last year where the fans weren't happy and, and they let it be known so uh, that, that's one one element i would say that that the fans have that's a, that could be an influence but again south florida's filled with a lot of south americans a lot of latin americans in general but a lot of south americans so i think it's normal that that that, that style of, of fandom would make its way to the supporters groups. It's, it's what it's who it's comprised of by by a large margin. So
1: I have to say I I am definitely looking forward to uh the match this Saturday. I, you know, I haven't really watched too many of Inter Miami's matches. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing the environment on TV and seeing what the supporter culture and how they bring it. I know that uh when Inter Miami had made the trip out to Los Angeles on your very first season that the supporters uh the 3252 and the supporters that came from inter miami they were very gracious and uh very welcoming and i believe that the the friendship and the 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 community between the two clubs was um was very strong and i believe it's just going to be another one of those good relationships that's going to continue to grow throughout the years to come so i just i look forward to the match this weekend
4: yeah, absolutely. And I was there for the first game, for Termini's first game at, at Bank of California Stadium, and I remember it very well. It's like what a week and a half before before the pandemic shut everything down across the nation. So it was Termini's first game. Fans were happy just to have a team to watch, and uh, obviously the the, the the supporters in in Los Angeles did their thing as they always do and provided a heck of an atmosphere. So we'll see how it goes this weekend in South Florida. It's a one thirty game. 1.30 p.m. game so it'll be a little bit warmer weather's supposed to be nice our fans you know are, are a lot of the locals going to come out for this game especially that since Inter Miami is coming off a five to one win like in LA there's a lot of other things that people can do on their weekends whether it's go to the beach take a boat out drive up to Orlando if they want to go to a theme park you know there's there's a lot of options for your for your dollars a lot of options for your entertainment. So. I'm 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 worried about the turnout in general. I think La Familia will be well represented as they as they normally are. But generally speaking, the rest of the stadium. Curious to see how it fills out. The the season opener did not sell out. It was quite a bit of uh, of empty seats. So curious to see how it is now that the the buzz of the new year has died down a little bit, especially this past weekend's result. I would suggest this for any LAFC fans that are coming to the game or that are making the trip out. Get there early. Get there early. Inter Miami. Stadium, it used to be Lockhart, it's, you know, they, they demolished Lockhart and built this new stadium, which is a lot, lot nicer, but there's only really two ways into the stadium, from the north side and the south side, and traffic can get very, very congested, and the later you get into, the, to the later you arrive to the stadium, the more traffic there is, the more congestion there is, and you obviously can get stuck in a, in a tough spot and be waiting for a good while and maybe miss some of the game. so if you're going to make the trip all the way out to South Florida and you want to see LAFC play from the first whistle, make sure you get there a bit early. Actually, this this first game, the season opener against the Chicago Fire, it was even worse than normal because I think they tried some new procedures for parking and for entrance to the stadium, and it just caused a lot, a lot of delays, and a lot of people didn't get in until well into the first half. Like I actually took a picture at one point from the press box because you could see uh, on the south side just the – throng of people at at one gate on the south what would that be southeast corner there was just a lot of people waiting in line to get in and it took a long long time for them all to get in so again just to repeat if you're going to the game lafc fans get there early make sure you're you're in your seat by kickoff because otherwise you're, you're taking a chance
1: So, pretty much you're saying treat it like any other los angeles game because of how, much, bad yeah. Tra- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how bad I mean, traffic is
4: hey but you know people people get people get excited when they're away from home and you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, okay, okay. We'll just make it in. It's not, there's not public right. transport here. I know, I know uh, LA, Los Angeles doesn't have the greatest public transport either. So, you, you know, you might be, might be used to that, but yeah, just, just make sure you're early if you want to see the Absolutely. game. Absolutely.
1: Well, uh, we just have one final question for you again. Thank you very much. Our guest today was Franco Panizo. He is at Franco Penizo, Panizo P-A-N-I-Z-O. Uh, and he is representing the Miami Total Football Radio.
4: There we go. Um, <laughs> there we go. I love
1: it. I love it. That's <laughs> uh, at M I a total T O T A L football F U T B O L. And uh, you can find him on Twitter and um, uh, just for the last question, what are your final season expectations at the end of the year? Are we going to see inter Miami being uh, a team that makes the playoffs? I've said this since preseason.
4: I always do my, my preseason predictions or my season predictions in preseason. No, I say no. I don't think this team is is going to make the playoffs. And it's not because of these two results. Just don't see enough talent on this team as is to say they'll make the playoffs. And obviously it's a revamped team. It's a younger team. It's the more athletic team. I think their average age before Blaze Matuidi was waived was 24 and a half. So it's a young team. Um, and I think they'll be... A bit more competitive than we saw on Saturday, generally speaking, but I just don't think they have enough talent to be a a playoff team in Eastern Conference. And this is a conversation I've had with a lot of people here, be it fans, be it colleagues. Uh, You know, a lot of teams in the East got better or made big signings into Miami because of their their situation. Something we haven't touched on is that, you know, the the sanctions from MLS started this year. And, you know, if you're not familiar with what that means, I'll, I'll just explain it very, very quickly. Uh, Inter Miami broke some rules in 2020 in its inaugural season in terms of the roster and the salary budget. It had players that should have been classified as DPS, not classified as DPS, and anyway they got punished. Those sanctions took into effect this year, so they've been reduced uh, the salary budget by I think 1.2 million in allocation money. So that that's affected the roster build as well and impacted how much they can spend. So they're playing with uh, a bit of a of a of a handicap, or they're a little bit hamstrung in in that way so obviously obviously uh not great for them hurts their ability to to feel as a competitive team as they could so i don't think they're a playoff team i don't think that they they make the playoffs this year just don't think they're that much better if at all better maybe they're more a cohesive unit than they were last year when players just didn't seem to really click or have that much chemistry or gel together but not a playoff team for me they do have a dp slot open now and we know that mls you know first half of the season doesn't mean that much we've seen plenty of teams be absolute crap for the first half of the season and then they sign somebody that player comes in Seattle's been a a, a key example of this many times they bring in a player midway through the season that helps turn things around and they go on a playoff run and, and you know obviously things can change from there but as of right now I say no Inter Miami is not a playoff team in 2022.
1: Well, that's about it for our opponent correspondent. Uh, Again, thank you very much, Franco, for taking the time to be on this.
0: I'm Larry Friedman, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, gentlemen, we've been prepared. You've heard the rundown. You've heard the information about Miami. Now it is time to dive into our predictions for the upcoming match. Chris, let's start off with you, brother.
1: I think that... LAFC is going to win the match. And I think that LAFC is going to win by more than two goals. I say three to one. That's my prediction. I think that this also might give, uh, might be an opportunity for us to see some more minutes from players that may not have had the, some of the non-starting 11 players. Uh, Miami is definitely not a team that is on the up and up so this is just an opportunity to take advantage of an opponent that may not challenge you to the max and you can use some of the uh players that may not have gotten very many minutes so far this
2: season i'm saying 2-1 travel from LA to Miami super far and then it's an early kickoff for the for our team which we haven't had in a long time so i think those two things are going to be um, difficult for the team to overcome early on, but I think we get the two goals. Um, we'll probably give up one. And I, I think we're, we're going to see a motivated Miami team. I think management ownership is going to have really stern talking to with a lackluster beginning of the season. And Miami a big market. And I think a lot of people are passionate out there to see their team and they're just not performing. Um, but, you know, I don't want to be too nice to them. So one, uh, you know, make sure that they don't have a celebration other than the one goal but having uh, to take a an L and keep them at a dismal record at the beginning of the season after 3 matches for them
0: Uh, Again, that is 1030 local time Saturday. So set your alarms, folks. Uh, Don't sleep in too much. You're going to have to kick the kids off those Saturday morning cartoons. Turn on some LAFC at 1030. We know there are a ton of watch parties going down all over town. So if you want to get out and enjoy the game with the LAFC faithful, we encourage you to find one of those watch parties. Uh, Check out 3252 social media or any of the SGs. There are a ton of them popping off all over town, even some independent ones as well, too. As far as my predictions look, I mean, Miami's look terrible. They looked awful versus Austin. They played a tepid and lifeless game versus Chicago that ended nil-nil because neither of those teams have any offensive power to them whatsoever. We have a completely different team. The Herons just look, they lost a lot of great talent, both to subtractions to the team and sanctions issued on them by MLS that were discussed a moment ago. And it just, you know, I just don't see it. Uh, Iguain is still their biggest starter, and I wanted to share something with you. So, uh, a forward from the Chicago Fire, Fabian Ever, who has his own podcast, had this to say about Iguain after the match versus Chicago to start the season: Iguain is so pathetic. His whole body language is terrible. I wouldn't want to be a teammate of his. Bleep that guy! I don't want any part of it. When that's what the league is saying about your star player. When you have a whole brand new team and you're asking him to be your general, to be your marshal, to go out there and muster the troops, and his body language is what we have seen throughout the first two matches. Gosh, my heart goes out to that fervent Inter Miami support. There are some great people over there. I know there's going to be some joint watch parties for the fans that are, or um, some joint events for the fans that are going out there to Miami. Uh, we had a great time when the supporters from Miami came out here for their first ever game. I know that. There's a kinship between both franchises, support, and it's going to be a great time for everyone heading out to Fort Lauderdale over the weekend to to catch that match. But I just don't see a Miami team that has anything going for them. And David Beckham and whoever else can yell at this team all they want, I, I don't think that's going to force them to gel together. I think LAFC have a chance to either play a B squad and whoop them handily. Or go out there with an A squad and absolutely pulverize this team. I would not be surprised if this is LAFC's first ever double-digit scoring match. You heard it here. My prediction, LAFC 10, Miami 0. There you go. That's my bold prediction. What are your takes, gentlemen?
1: Anything's possible. I think it's a little strong. I think it's a little strong. Uh, But the uh, quote about Iguain, a leader on the team, poor body language people don't want to be teammates with him sounds kind of like a Zlatan to me I don't know but uh Zlatan yeah, has some Zlatan skills or goals
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh no it's you know it. it's unfortunate Miami is uh one of the premier cities in the United States um and it's just a shame that, unfortunately, that that club is is coming through some some hard times right now. Uh, when the MLS is great, when its marquee cities are also thriving, so that's definitely one of those things where you want to see a city like Miami have a solid team.
2: Well, Don't get me wrong; I want them to turn it around just after this weekend. So,
0: touche. Um, They have a proposal for a stadium in Miami. However, it looks like as recently as yesterday at time of recording, the hearing on that new stadium has been postponed six months. So they're going to have to wait a little bit longer to move from Fort Lauderdale to Miami proper. You can't have anyone to blame about the construction of this team other than Miami itself. You know, their general manager, the person behind constructing this team, is the former general manager of the Seattle Sounders that 10 years ago built a franchise that has been dominant for a decade? You know, they know what they're doing, but they broke the rules, they're paying for it. And the team and the fan base has been punished as a result. And and that to me is the most disappointing thing about all this. You know, like Chris said, you have an amazing city in Miami. We have David Beckham, who is unquestionably one of the biggest names to ever impact major league soccer here in the United States. There was so much at the onset that said this team could have been an at Atlanta United and LAFC. They could have stormed into the league as a powerhouse, but it's really their own decision making that has put them in a situation where they're now likely in a two to three year rebuild at this point. Uh, and I feel very sad for, for, the status of that franchise and and everything that's going on in florida to try and help bring soccer to that next level and and i feel that when inter miami takes a step back it really does hurt major league soccer as a whole because there are a lot of eyes on this team because of the star power of ownership and and the kind of players that they were putting on the pitch and and the fact that they got themselves into this situation is is disappointing to say the least but uh That be it, we are going to see our match this weekend. Once again, that is going to be at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. Univision and the end will be your options to watch on TV. So please, let's all cheer them on. I have a feeling this is going to be a laugher of a match. If LAFC do not win this game handily, um, I think it will be the result of either Miami playing above and beyond what we have seen from them so far or LAFC really stumbling out the gates because of the travel, the time change, or maybe one too many cafecitos at the club in Miami before they uh, have a chance to get out there on the pitch. So wishing everyone well and looking forward to talking to you all on the next show. Thank you for listening to episode 110 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Once again, we'd like to thank tonight's guest, Chris Apari, a.k.a. DJ Flicked, joining us you can follow him at dj flicked on instagram and of course this week's opponent correspondent representing the herons of inter miami franco panizo who comes to us from miami total football radio uh so once again thank you everyone for listening and take us home sticks together this our culture from the force of a supernova stay flying that fc dorsum. hey shopping down to nikki's koreatown Liddy. keep us old mommy about to drop her in. they won't need to stop but i ain't come to my house i'll defend that bank